This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. We Transfer is all about making the creative process easier for everyone, including me. I love this service. They built their site to be the simplest way to share big files from A to B for free. There's no sign in, no offer codes, no password to forget. You just upload, send, and get right back to making whatever it is you make. WeTransfer.com is the best. It's the only way I like to transfer files, including files for this podcast. Thank you, WeTransfer. I am here to get you excited about your morning coffee again via the Bones Coffee Company. You love them. You should love them. They offer an escape from the mundane with products like two times caffeine high voltage and unique flavors like maple bacon, strawberry cheesecake. I personally am partial to peanut butter and jelly. It's available in one-pound bags, sample packs, or Bones Cups. There are a ton of ways to have the ultimate coffee experience. So visit BonesCoffee.com to have delicious, freshly roasted coffee delivered straight to your door. And you can enjoy free domestic shipping on all orders over $50 and use the promo code 100WORDS. That's the number 100WORDS for 20% off your entire order. Please do this. I love Bones Coffee so, so much. Great mugs, great everything. Just do it, okay? 100 words, 20% off. Now, here is the show. Hello, 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 everybody, and welcome to 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I'm your host, Ray Harkins, and thank you for listening, downloading this beautiful thing that is focused on independent music and the people who make it up whether it's you know playing in bands, whether it's contributing in other ways. And this month we are highlighting awesome independent women in music, or you can say awesome women in independent music, however you want to describe it. But basically the focal point of all of May is women, okay? And that's what we're doing. And Shauna Potter from War on Women is on the show. She's the lead vocalist for the band and they're incredible. They just released a new record on Bridge Nine and I, uh, I've never seen them live, but uh, I've consumed all the records and they, they shred. They really, really, it, it reminds me of the same sort of feeling that I got when I first started to, uh, you know, listen to bands like uh, Propagandi and like these uh, politically charged hardcore bands. I uh, like Born Against is also another good comparison. So yeah, you need to listen to War on Women if you haven't done that. And you know what you also need to do? You need to pay attention to rockabilia.com. I am literally wearing a shirt that they sent me and an old, old NXS t-shirt, which I'm very, very excited about, but they have half a million items. And what I want to do is I want to save you 15%. Use this code PC Jabberjaw, and you will be able to get a 15% discount off of whatever you order. It's officially licensed, no bootleg crap. It's high quality, and they've got everything you could possibly want when you are looking at banned merchandise. Okay. There's no two bones about it. This is the best place to get your stuff. And I love that Rockabilia supports podcasts. So please do me a favor. Go check out the site and get 15% off by using code PCJabberJaw. Okay, let's let's do that. Let's support awesome independent companies. And that's what they are. So I just played a show this past weekend on Saturday. And uh, it was awesome. It was incredibly uh, emotional. It was overwhelming in many aspects in the positive way. And I just, um, I don't know, I, I go into these things having, you know, a, a lot of stress and anxiety of like, oh, hopefully people will show up and hopefully people will care because I mean, you, you've probably been to some shows where, you know, bands kind of come back and they haven't played a show in a long time. 
and there's like 10 people there and it feels, um, it feels pretty soul crushing, you know, even if you enjoy the experience and you have a fun time, it still, it, it kind of hurts because you're just like, Oh man, I wish more people were out here. And I mean, fortunately it wasn't like that. There was around 160 people paid, which was awesome. I, I say paid because <laughs> that's just the way that the, my mind works. So there's probably like, I don't know, maybe around 180 or so. And it felt, uh, it felt great because the people that were there were totally there for a reason. were extremely engaged, not only with, with taken, but with all the other bands that played. And it just felt, um, yeah, it felt intimate and it felt just really, really fun. It felt like coming home in so many respects. And I also met a lot of you who listen to this show and thank you for crossing the stream, so to speak, and supporting, uh, you know, one of my other endeavors on there creatively. So I just, um, yeah, it's overwhelming. I, I mean, I got, I have people coming up to me with my lyrics tattooed on their arm. Like that's a lot and in, in a positive way, but it's, it's, it's a lot. It's a, you know, I wouldn't say it's a burden <laughs> because it's not, it's awesome that that happens. But, um, yeah, you just, you never know with what you put out there, what will be given back in return. It's, it's incredible. So thank you very much for everybody that, uh, went to the show and you can also stream the take an EP wherever you want on Apple music, Spotify, everything else. We got some vinyl left. We have some shirts as well. So, you know, just, just Google it. You can find it. I'm not going to sit here and walk you through a bunch of web links. <laughs> it's a little ridiculous, right? And, um, yeah, that's all I got with that. But Shauna, just a great conversation. She has, uh, just an incredibly intelligent person. She's doing the damn thing. She's pursuing a creative life, uh, under her own terms. And I love that about her. And I love that about people that decide to follow that path. It's really, really cool. So here's Shauna and I will talk to you after the episode is over. Okay. Bye. Well, actually not bye. Hi. (laughs) Here she is. My first memory is a, uh, you know, of getting exposed to war on women was, uh, you know, via mutual friends, uh, in the, uh, the gentlemen of propaganda where, um, and I'm sure, I'm sure it's so funny that you, that so many people have found out about you via those guys. Like you feel like that might've been your big break, quote unquote. (laughs) Yeah. It's not funny to me. I'm very grateful actually. Um, and I, 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 I think that, you know, Propagandi is one of the few bands that kind of puts their money where their mouth is when it comes to being, um, male allies. And so they, they took a chance on us. Like we were nobody. I mean, we're still nobody, let's be honest, but you know, like we were very much nobodies and, and they, they took a risk to have us, um, come out with us, come out with them. Yeah, for sure. I just, the only reason I say that it's funny is just because I'm sure, many people's inflection points for, Oh yeah, I first heard you guys because, uh, you know, you, uh, toured with propaganda or, you know, they, they, they said a nice tweet about us or something like that. Yeah, yeah no, it's true. But that's, I, that's, that's fine. Yeah. So, <laughs> Hey, it, that there are worse cosigns. That's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, but it, you know, w- once I started to, you know, become aware of your music and, um, you know, became aware, uh, you know, of the, you know, lyrical content and everything that was contained within what you're doing, is the fact that, um, you know, I'm sure many people have expressed the same sort of sentiment where, uh, you know, you feel like whatever, I'm 37 years old. I've existed in punk and hardcore for a long time. And, you know, there's always that uh, that notion of like, oh, man, bands used to be so political and there always used to be, you know, food, not bombs <laughs> at every show. And, you know, no bands are doing that anymore. And yes, that is true on one hand. But, you know, on the other hand, there are 
so many other different platforms to be active or whatever. But at the end of the day, it is still cool to see a band with an agenda get out there like what you are doing. Um, I, I presume people express that sort of sentiment to you guys all the time. Yeah. Uh, um, I, I do think that when you're talking about like feminist issues or, or like, or looking at issues through a feminist lens, um, we just, there's just a, a, a gap uh, of people talking about that kind of stuff. And so I think for a lot of people, kind of myself included, it's one of the reasons that we wanted to start the band is because we were like hungry for this sort of uh, perspective. And I think that people just uh, are lacking and they want they want to hear it. And so we're, we're one of the bands, we're not the only band, but we're one of the bands that are putting this stuff out there and making it really obvious what we stand for. And I think that, um, yeah, it's uh, unfortunately needed. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, there's no, <laughs> there's definitely no uh, subtlety in uh, <laughs> what you guys are doing in regards to, especially like you said, the, you know, the messaging and what you're talking about. Like, you know, it takes just a very, uh, you know, perfunctory glance to be like, oh, okay, I, I, I get where they're coming from, <laughs> you know, and like not in a bad way, just in like that you wear it in your sleeve and that's good. Yeah, no, it's either it's a I mean, we're called Warren Women for Christ's sake. So it's right. either we're either a band of feminists or we're a band of misogynists. And it takes a second or two to figure out which one. And then you're like, OK, got it. <laughs> I know that. Yeah, I guess on the opposite side of things where you're saying, yeah, it's like an actual war on women like that would be, uh, you know, especially like <laughs> a punk or hardcore band existing with that agenda would just be like. Like, I wouldn't even know what to do. Like, it'd be like, what the, like, where, where do you exist? What planet are you on? Yeah. Hashtag MAGA, you know? <laughs> <laughs> totally. Totally. It's they like, think they're fucking punk. They, 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 they think they're so punk and it's so funny to me, their lack of understanding of what punk really should be, that they are the status, they're fighting against themselves. They're the status quo. It's so ridiculous. Yeah. It's the, uh, but no, we've, we've gotten a couple weird looks in the airport when we have our, you know, our band name on our guitar case or something. So there's been a couple times where we've had to like explain to, to, to Linda from Idaho what's going on. And, and she's either like, Oh, okay. Or she's like, I don't know about that <laughs> and moves on, you know? Right. Right. Well, yeah, you're getting your, uh, your oil changed at you know, the local Jiffy Lube and people, what, <laughs> yeah. what's, what's the name of your band? It's like, Oh, I don't, I, I don't want to get into it. We're called Incubus. <laughs> it's like, yeah, no. Oh man. Brooks has this, Brooks is our male guitar player. He has this really great thing that he started doing. He just started telling people that we're in a country band and they're like, cool. I love country. And he's like, yep, that's what I thought. <laughs> And then and then it's fine and we could just say like the Brooks Harlan band or whatever cuz that sounds like a country a country band name. Yeah. And it, and it gets us out of weird weird predicaments if we want. But you know, if I'm being honest, like there's been a couple times I I whenever people ask like, "Oh, you're in a band. What kind of band is it?" I'm always like <sighs> feminist hardcore band. <laughs> you know, yeah. just waiting for whatever they're about to tell me. Yeah, what's it called? <sighs> it's called War on Women. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bracing myself, you know, because in my day to day life, like I don't need to talk to a stranger about this band. Right. Like, right. The, the, band, the band is enough. I don't need to do it at the grocery store. So um, but every now and again, something amazing will happen. And I remember this one time at a gas station and someone's asking us about the band or something. And, and I was wearing a shirt from an organization that I really like. And the shirt just says, nobody knows I'm transsexual. And 
it's um and someone you know the lady behind the counter was like reading it and like kind of questioning and then this guy behind us in line kind of figured out what was going on and and he was like he was like hey i like your shirt i think it's cool and i was like thanks and i i got out of there i was like i don't know where this is going i'm leaving um because even if i'm not trans just wearing that shirt i felt like I could experience some transphobia and maybe harassment and violence because they are assuming that I'm trans. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I just left, I went to the van. I didn't, I didn't feel like dealing with it. Um, and then when Brooks came back in, he was like, Hey, that guy behind us in line was really cool. Actually. He started talking to me about the issues and he started telling me, you know, that he's like, I don't know if he's like, the guy was like poly or into kink or whatever, but just basically just like he is a person that's been exposed to other communities and gets it and was like being really cool. And he was telling the lady behind the counter. So what if she is, does it matter? Like let her buy gas kind of thing. And I just thought that was really fantastic because he looked like someone that would have harassed me. Right. You know? Um, so I don't know. It's, it's a, it's a weird, I'm just saying it's an interesting, um, space to occupy, uh, being in a band, one, so you're getting attention whenever you get out of your van anyway, because you have dyed hair and, you know, you're wearing boots and ripped up hosiery or something, you know. Yep. And then two, maybe you're wearing your issues on your sleeve and, and people are going to want to talk to you. And, and you, you almost kind of forget, like, that, I, hey, I live in Baltimore. I can wear this shirt in public. No one's going to bother me. Uh, and then you kind of forget. Not every town is like that. And um, it really... It really is a it can be challenging if you yourself are always dealing with harassment. Um, maybe you don't want to like that's why we need male allies like Propaganda and Anti-Flag and all these other dudes. Like I need them to sort of take on that fight in those little moments because I'm, I'm kind of already worn down sometimes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. I mean, it, it makes total sense what you're talking about, because the the notion that you are, you know, the, there are so many ways that, uh, you know, you can be an affront to people, whether it's like because you play in a band that screams because you, you know, like you said, you are a woman and like all of these other things that people <laughs> can place upon you without <laughs> even having a conversation. And then all of a sudden it's just like, oh, yeah, like I, I can't I, you know, I can't do that. Like, I understand why this person is like, oh, my gosh, like, what are these weirdos doing in my gas station? I just need to yell <laughs> at them and get them out of here, you know, but <laughs> But then, but then you also, like you said, you can have those, um, those moments of like simple exposure. Like, you know, people can, yes, like reflect on the one time that, you know, they saw a weird band rolling through their gas station or whatever and be like, man, that was a bunch of weirdos, but they're probably talking about it for like at least a a couple (laughs) of years after it, you know, where it's like, I can't even believe that. And like, they gave me a CD or whatever, you know, like those random, those random occurrences don't like, you know, you don't hold them close to you, but those people may have been, you know, and I say those people in a non-judgmental, you know, standpoint, but just like that could have impacted them in so many different ways. And you don't, you don't know how that happens. Mm. I, ch- I try to be conscious of that. Yeah. It's hard to remember, but it, but it is worth remembering that no kind of, no matter what you're doing in life. Yeah. Oh, totally. It's the, yeah. Especially, especially in these, uh, these, these situations that are, you know, not common for most people like, you know, touring in bands and, you know, getting in sweaty rooms with other people. Um, <laughs> yeah. The, uh, you know, kind of reflecting on you as a person, were you born and raised in Baltimore or did you come up? No, no, I, I, um, I was born in Houston and, um, I, I grew up there 
but I actually moved around a lot. My mom moved us around a lot. So I feel like I'm from Texas, but I also feel like I'm from LA. <laughs> and I also feel like I'm from Nashville because that's where I went to high school. So, um, uh, but now I feel like I'm from Baltimore too. So I don't know. It's, um, I, I've been in Baltimore longer than I've ever lived anywhere. I've been here over 10 years. So I definitely feel like at home and I have no, no plans or reason to move anywhere else. Um, which I'm sure I wouldn't feel that way if I did grow up here. Um, but I get enough of my wanderlust, um, out of my system with touring and, and the way I grew up. So I'm, I'm very happy here. Yeah, no, that's cool. I, I like how you, um, kind of pegged that where, the you know moving around and and experiencing different cities through different co- different contexts of your life um you know i mean you just have these fleeting moments of like oh yeah like i, I lived in you know la for a couple of years and that was that but then you know when you do start to develop your own identity in junior high and high school and start to you know experience things outside of the confines of um you know what your parent you, what your parent you know presents to you it's like that's when you're like oh yes i feel i feel like either this is the place <laughs> for me or not the place for me yeah and so your uh your family structure like you were saying or like has been noted before that you know you're raised with a single mother um and do you have any brothers or sisters or was it just you and your mom oh no no just me and mom and i am i mean to be fair like my her mom my grandma was definitely in the picture helping raise me for a long time too. Um, did she, like, and I, did she move around? I know my guys? dad. I, um, not, uh, no, we kind of like when we moved back to Houston, um, she then, and then when we moved, um, to Nashville, she, my grandma stayed in Houston. Got it. So there, and you know, I don't know. It's like it takes a village kind of thing. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially when uh, you have – when the responsibility of raising a child falls on one person's shoulders, like, you know, clearly they have to work and they have to do these things that, you know, will will provide for the family. And you have to have other hands on the deck. Otherwise, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a really tough existence. It's just really tough. And it's, it's possible, obviously, but, yeah, it can be really tough. So, um you know, um, but yeah, there, there's like, you know, other people, I mean, I, and I, just to be clear, I do have a relationship with my dad. I know my dad, he's super cool. Um, uh, he's a Republican, but I don't hold it against him. And, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I love that relationship and we text a lot and stuff. So when did you, uh, did you uh, like strike up a relationship with him later on in life or was he always kind of present? No, I mean, it was more just like they, they got separated when I was really young, like two. And so my dad was always just my dad. That any, I never knew another situation. And, and so, um, but all the time, you know, holidays and, and I, now that I, now that I've been touring so much with the war on women, I feel like I actually see my family more than I ever did before, uh, which is kind of like, because my his mom lives in Fresno, and what fucking excuse would I have to go out to Fresno? Never, unless I was through. You know, like, it's so tough to go out to see her, um, but I've gotten to see her like five times just driving through town, or or uh, one time we shipped our amp heads to her place and picked them up before a tour started in like Seattle or something. So love it because that. 
that was cheaper. I don't know what we're, I don't remember what the circumstances were, but it was so cool. And she loved being a part of it. She's like watching out for the package like all day, you know? Yeah. So it's, I, it's hard when everyone's spread out. Yeah, absolutely. I, lo- I love those family outposts that you have on tour. Yes. <laughs> where it's like a watering hole. <laughs> yeah, totally. Where, you know, it's like, all right, you know, our guitarists, you know, grandparents live in, you know, this random town in Virginia. We know, <laughs> we know that we're going to have a place to stay after the show. And we know that, you know, like cl- there's, there'll be clean cots or whatever. <laughs> like you'll just be taken care of. It's so nice. A giant vat of spaghetti or something. Yeah, totally. Totally. And they're, <laughs> and they're so excited to like mix it up with your friends. And it's just like this, it's such a, um, it's such a welcome break from, you know, the usual grind of tour, whether it's like staying in a crappy hotel or staying with a random person at their dorm room or something. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> and so, you know, as you started to, uh, you know, develop your own identity, you know, like I said, in junior high and high school, was that when you were, uh, y- you were in Houston and Nashville? Is that kind of when that time frame was happening? Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. Yeah. Started, you know, getting into my own music, not just what my mom liked, and um starting to write music and play guitar and stuff. Uh, and how did that like how how did that come in your life? I mean, so I've always like enjoyed singing and dancing and performing. Um I think I would still like that stuff even if I wasn't an only child, but that certainly didn't help, you know, all the attention that everyone gave me when I would put on a show in the living room. Um but uh you know, so I grew up on like 80s radio, um, you know, big, you know, Janet Jackson, Madonna, Michael Jackson, um, Prince, George Michael, like that was my jam when I was really young, obviously. Um, and I've never really let go of that. I love good pop music. Um, but at some point, you know, I was a kid, I was one of those kids with a TV in their room, kind of young. Um, and I watched MTV all the time because I loved music. But then one day I saw Courtney Love playing guitar in a whole music video. And I went, wait a second, I can play guitar. Oh, I got to get me one of those. Hey, mom. <laughs> <laughs> Love and that. that. And that is absolutely, absolutely what happened. It was like a lightning bolt of like, oh, I can do that. I can make the music that I like listening to. That's amazing. And so her, uh, my mom and her brother, you know, again, everyone in my family enjoys music, I think in a real way, what, even though they never like, you know, did much with it or anything. Um, but her brother plays guitar and has played guitar for a long time and he's very good. Um, and he has some great gear. And so when he heard that his sister's kid wanted a guitar, like that was an opportunity for him too to, to get me the right thing. And, um, and so it's, it's in, it's in the blood a little bit, this, this desire to make music and the connection to music and, um, and all that. I, I think I'm just the only one that was, I think it's just uh, my generation of being told you can do anything you want to, you, you know, you can do anything you want to do. I love you no matter what. <laughs> We're proud of you. You know, it, it didn't help me, you know, as far as discipline goes, <laughs> but it certainly made me think, okay, well, I'll just, I will just do whatever the fuck I want to do. Um, and so that's what I've been doing. So I, I think, uh, th- thanks to them and their kind of leniency <laughs> a little bit, um, I've been able to kind of pursue this kind of stuff, uh, to now. I, and I really do feel like everything I've done 
in my life creatively has led to war on women. Um, and it's a really interesting place to, to be, to, to it's, it's a weird thing to think about. Right, right. No, and I, I do, I reflect on that sentiment of what you're talking about where generationally speaking, um, you know, there, I, I basically, I think people between the ages of like, I don't know, whatever, like 25 to, you know, 40 now, I think that's the generation of people who, you know, came from that, that environment of like, you know, whether there are, you know, middle class, lower class, upper class, it didn't matter. But that, that sentiment of what you're talking about of, oh yeah, like, you know, pr- pursue these things, pursue, you know, your passions, whatever that may mean. Um, not like, you know, that's going to make any sense to me. I have no idea what you're into. Like, you know, speaking from a (laughs) a parental perspective, but then just giving you the space to, you know, get, do that as opposed to, you know, I mean, this is a overstatement, but like get to work in the factory, you know, like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. She, my mom was happy if I was happy, you know? And, and I think that, 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 um, that that uh, that idea that 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 our parents have given us of like you can do whatever you want, I think that's really lovely. Um, if if when I was like okay, well this band thing isn't really working out. If there was a job waiting for me, if there was a way to not be in debt from going to university, if 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 the things that existed when when they were young or when their parents were young, if those things were in place and you could act actually make a living and support a family on one job and buy a house and whatever. Like if that still existed, then it would be fine to kill some time (laughs) for a few years, but that's not the reality. So now, you know, you sort of like, once you start on that path of, of pursuing a creative thing that you're interested in, um, you either have to start completely at the beginning with education and work, or you just have to make a job out of what you're doing and what you're interested in. And so we're sort of, that's what Brooks and I do. Um, we're running, we run an amp repair shop. We fix gear for a living and it's like connected to our world and kind of something that we were like, could we do this for a job? You know, cause there just weren't any other jobs and what are we going to do? Like sit in a cubicle nine to five, like basically everything I was taught growing up made it whether overtly or not right like they didn't say it explicitly but there's no way i could do a nine to five cubicle job like i've been set up not to yeah totally (laughs) just you're like i i would rather make four cents an hour (laughs) than than sign up for this which you know just doesn't have any sort of connective tissue to the things that i actually care about you know it's like you like yes you would take you know a whatever typical quote-unquote nine to five job with something that you are probably passionate about you know if it was like oh wow like you know, I, I, I'm going to be doing this thing that is more quote, quote unquote corporate, but is completely, you know, entrenched in what it is that I care about. Of course people would do that, but you know, it's like, well, if it doesn't exist, then you have to try to figure it out on your own. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I, I I'm going to kind of take a, a guess in regards to, uh, the kind of kid that you were in regards to, you know, what you're talking <laughs> about as far as your, you know, your performative nature, um, you know, only child, I, I'm an only child, so I can, you know, I can smell us a mile away. Um, <laughs> but the, so, I mean, it sounds like you, you know, you had a, a big personality and you were, you know, not afraid to, you know, obviously, like you said, you know, perform in front of your family and stuff like that. Um, were you kind of a, a loudmouth kid or were you, you know, a little quieter and reserved and you had to like feel comfortable in situations? Where did you kind of place yourself? 
Um, a little bit of both for sure. Like I would, I would get shy in, in certain situations and still do. Um, but I was fine, you know, telling jokes and, um, entertaining and wanting people to have a good time, um, around me and stuff like that. You know, I was in theater, so I did have an outlet at least. It wasn't all just confined to annoying my mom (laughs) at home. But, um, so I, I had my outlets even before I got a guitar and, and was, old enough to play at an all ages club or whatever in Nashville. Um, so I did get it out of my system for the most part. And I guess I learned a little discipline there too. Like you got to practice or you're going to suck. And that's not quite as rewarding as, um, being good and people liking it. Right. Right. No, I, I, I do like that. I, that notion of, you know, learning, um, structure and, you know, how to play well with others when, yeah, I mean, cause it, people, and I'm sure you've experienced this throughout your life where people, you know, being an only child is kind of, it's quizzical for most people. They're just like, Oh, mm. so, so like, what did you, you know, what did you do? Like, I, I, I always reflect on my childhood and I'm like, Oh yeah. Like, you know, I played monopoly by myself and like, <laughs> you know, if like for most people, <laughs> yeah. they're like, that sounds so sad. I was like, dude, it was great. I played with like three alter egos and it was awesome. But like, no, I know it's amazing because <laughs> I, I am, I am a, you know, pretty out outward person and I'm, and I feel like I'm an open book. And if someone wanted to ask me anything about my life, if I felt like it imparted wisdom, I'd be happy to share, you know, do a little TMI or whatever. Right. But like, when it's time for me to recharge, I'm like, okay, I'm just going to go home and sit on the couch and watch TV. Like I'm basically going to go to my room because like that is a safe, like, like nice environment for me. I love being social and I'm fucking chatty as hell. And, you know, watch out if you get one beer in me, I'll talk your ear off kind of thing. But like when I want to relax, like that's not relaxing to me. I just, I want to just come home. Right. And, (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and I never put that together that that's probably why, like I was in my room a lot as a kid, whether it was, you know, I was really young and playing with toys or dolls or playing guitar or watching TV. Like, like I was perfectly fine being alone. And, and if something else came up, I'd be like, okay, yeah, sure. I wasn't like dying to get out of the house. Um, but it did give me that thing where i I had to learn how to not be selfish. I had to learn to not think of myself all the time. And that, that kind of, if you're looking for a segue, that kind of, um, translates into, you know, kind of me getting more, um, involved in activism and kind of starting to think outside myself and realize, Hey, this stuff affects other people too, or other people are affected by things I have no idea about. Right. Um, and so it kind of started with the big bad, you know, the big bad guys of capitalism and patriarchy. And, and then you start to, to realize like, oh, I should probably apply all this to my personal relationships on the individual level too. Um, and so it's definitely been a journey getting out of that only child mindset. Sure. No, it's a very, I I never thought about it in those terms, but it definitely, um, you, once you get exposed to that idea uh, of, you know, stepping outside of yourself and, you know, care, like not the idea of like caring about another human being, but just the notion of <laughs> right, like, right, yeah. like, oh, there's, oh, they, yeah, there is different experiences besides my myopic vision of what it is that I'm used to. Um, and I'm sure like <clears throat> it does segue somewhat into a question I was going to ask in regards to the, you know, 
when you started to make the connection between, you know, punk and hardcore and the notion that not everybody's experience was, you know, similar to yours as far as like, you know, oh, other people live in third world countries and like all of these other ideas that like the world is much bigger than my experience. Um, when did you start kind of piecing those two things together? Was that I presume that's in high school as well? I th- well, it's it's weird because I think it came later, honestly, but I, I think that there's a difference between realizing like, oh, there's people going through things all over the world, whatever, whatever. And then the idea that there's anything I can do about it and that it matters that I know about it, you know. So I feel like I was definitely raised to be incredibly tolerant of people that are different than me, um, which is sort of like the first step <laughs> towards fighting any ism. Right. Um it's definitely not the whole journey to being like a good ally to other people, but, um, I was definitely very tolerant. I knew that I was, um, I knew that I was lucky, even though we were like lower middle class and like basic, what, what's a house poor, like you can afford a house, but because you can, you can't afford anything else. Right. 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 Um, you, you can open the door, but that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, cool. You have a house, but like you're eating, you know, you're, there's no, there's no like extra cool shit going on. <laughs> like you just, but you do have a roof. Like I still uh, knew that like I was really lucky to eat food every day and to have a house and to get like an old used car. Um, and to have a job at 16, I was like, I, I knew how awesome that was. And I was, I did not take that for granted. Um, or I tried not to, I tried to be grateful for that. But that didn't mean that I knew that I should care about anything else, like by doing anything, you know? So I was, I was concerned with like, got to pay. I feel like I've been concerned about making the rent since I was 16, (laughs) but, (laughs) um, but it's like, how do, how do you care about that stuff? Like surviving for yourself and then also, um, helping others that are, that are maybe not in, in a, in as good a spot as you. So it took me a while to start turning that outward. Um, so I wouldn't say it's not that I wasn't, um, I don't know. It's just like, whatever. Everyone's journey is different. I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to make too many excuses for myself actually. No, no, don't, don't. I mean, I think it's one of those things like everybody has their kind of, you know, gateway band to start to get them into the idea that, you know, the world isn't just your experience. You know, it's like rage against the machine was huge for me when I was 12 and watching their video on 120 minutes on MTV and being like, Oh, so like me being, you know, a middle-class white dude, like that's like that I'm lucky. Like, I didn't know that (laughs) before that, you know? And like, you don't, it's not like I, you know, the next day I started to, you know, volunteer at a local soup kitchen or something like that. Right. Right. It's, it's that progressive building of knowledge that will get you to a point where when you are able to, um, kind of extend yourself into places that you wouldn't be able to because of either your age or your circumstances that you at least have that sort of backbone of like, oh yes, like this is important to me. And this is because of all of these reasons, you know, that you built up. You know, that that's really interesting. You say that because that, that makes me think about when I discovered bikini kill, I, I, I obviously wasn't like, oh, there's other things happening to other people. I was like, oh, someone's talking about something that applies to me. Right. Sure. Like specifically I, to you. Yeah. 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 Like I was like, oh, OK. So when I'm yelled at by some old man and I'm 15, it's OK to feel grossed out by it or confused or like 
upset or, or embarrassed. Like, what did I do to make him say that? You know, like, so, so it's almost like, because I knew that I was living in this world that was unfair to women, but I was kind of too young, you know, too young to experience the gender wage gap or something, you know, like I, I wasn't like being hit with like the real world examples of it, but, but it's like, I needed to know that someone else somewhere else was, was aware of it too, dealing with it too, that sure. understood. Yeah. Um, so, so I, maybe it just took me a while to start applying those ideas and lessons to other marginalized people. I, maybe at first I just needed to validate myself. And when I found my, when I found that for myself, eventually then I could say, okay, now who else needs anything? (laughs) (laughs) No, that's a, that's an incredibly important, uh, thought because I, I think that, you know, that's when you are, you know, of that age, when you are, you know, between the ages of 12 and, you know, arguably your early 20s, where you were just look, you were looking for a community, whatever that may mean, wherever that's, you know, religion, whether that's sports, like whatever it is, you want to find other people that, you know, feel similar to you. And I think once you start to, you know, see, like you said, that there are other people out there that, you know, either express your feelings or, you know, it's like, oh my gosh, there's other people that are straight edge. There's other people that are vegan. Like there's other, oh my gosh, like I'm not just the only one having these weird thoughts. And like you said, then you start to be able to realize that you can, you know, step outside of yourself once you do kind of feel like you have a little, um, not, not backup, but you know, you have the community. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I think it's easier. It's easier to help people if you feel a little more grounded. Um, so I don't, I hope that, yeah, I hope that's like a natural thing and it doesn't make me sound too shitty. <laughs> no, no, not at all. Not I mean, I was also a kid, you know, like whatever. So yeah, you're, you're right. the best. exactly, exactly. Um, and so did you, uh, you know, like did, did you try to play in bands in high school and like, you know, as you were kind of like going through that or, um, you know, was that, was your, were you expressing yourself in uh, theater and stuff like that more so than, uh, trying to play in a band? Yeah, no, I was definitely trying to play in a band and I, so I started playing guitar when I was 12 and I moved to Nashville when I was 14 and I, I was like almost about to have a band before we moved. And then we moved and I was like real mad at my mom. Cause I was like, no, I'll never have a band, which is hilarious. But because everyone's kid in Nashville plays music too, you know. Every everyone's dad is a studio musician. Like totally. Like there's there were plenty of people to choose from to play with in Nashville, um, but I didn't know it till I got there. So, so my first band was in ninth grade, and it it was you know other than like membership changes and stuff, like it was kind of the same band almost for our entire high school. Uh, our entire time in high school. And, um, by when, when our band started playing more and got more, you know, local success and we're recording records and stuff again, it's Nashville. So like that was t- totally on the table, even though I was like 16. Um, I probably, I, that's when I stopped doing theater as much cause I couldn't do both, you know? And I'd play a show and I'd be out kind of late. And I, I had, I definitely had like a little bit more of an adult lifestyle at a younger age, just because you're playing, we're playing Lucy's record shop, you know, in Nashville. Um, but then, and then, you know, once you're in a band, you start going to shows too. You want to see what the other bands are like, what they're doing. And, um, you want to be friends with them and play shows with them. And so it was definitely 
um, a formative time in my life and made a lot of friends, um, that I did not go to school with, you know, like that were older, um, and were just around the downtown Nashville area on the weekends. And that's where we would hang out. Yeah, no, that's cool. And I, I, I've always loved, uh, Nashville from, uh, the, you know, music perspective where, you know, clearly it's a, you know, music soaked town ever since, you know, the, the fifties and people started to, you know, come up from the whole, you know, country Western thing. Um, but then, you know, there, there was clearly the subculture that started to exist in the nineties with, you know, uh, band, I mean, not specifically from, you know, uh, from Nashville, but, you know, bands like his heroes gone from ashes rise that were, you know, existing in Tennessee. And it was always so strange for a person like me being in, in California. I've just been like, why is it that like Tennessee is producing all of these, like, you know, anti-capitalist, like, you know, completely <laughs> raging against the system bands that are like, you know, subsisting on their own, releasing their own records. Like it was just so interesting to me. And, you know, I felt like Nashville has always had that underbelly of like, oh yeah, you know, the glossy stuff like music row and everything like that. But like, we also have some, some, some pretty crazy stuff out here too, which I thought was great. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. Yeah. I don't I can't speak for every band obviously, but there were a lot of folks that, I feel like most of the kids and bands, they had access to music and they weren't discouraged from playing because their their parents at least understood it and could say, oh, yeah, here, I'll just buy you this PRS real quick or something, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. Um, and which is amazing, you know, but also when I was, God, as for my as for my birthday, I don't remember if I was turning 15 or 16, but my mom took me to the music store to buy my first real amp, you know, like graduating up from a practice amp. And she bought me and, and who knows why I liked this amp, you know, cause I didn't have an ear yet. I didn't know what I wanted. Um, I was just a kid and needed a louder amp to play shows, but she bought me a 67 Fender Bassman for like under $600. And I still have that amp and it sounds fucking incredible and I cannot believe that that was my first real amp. Right. You're supposed to get, you're supposed to get a metal zone with a combo amp. Like that's what you're supposed to get, but <laughs> don't worry. Don't worry. I had a metal zone too. <laughs> I probably played it through that basement and I'm sure people that saw us were like, what the fuck? But like this amp is incredible. And right now, because we're, we're in this position, um, I, I actually, Brooks and I work in the same building as Magpie Cage Studio, um, oh, sure. where where we've recorded our records, and it's Jay Robbins Studio, the guy from Jawbox, Burning Airlines, etc. And um, so, because we work in the same building, um, we get to keep all our gear there, you know, um, instead of in my tiny apartment. So my amp just lives in Magpie Cage Studio, and like. I'll walk by and I'll see like it'll just be on with all the other like bands use my amp for their records all the time. And I'm just like, hell yeah, you're using my amp. It sounds fucking great. That's and I'm so, that's so glad. cool. You're the you're the you're the in-house you're the in-house uh, studio uh, supplier. That's cool. <laughs> yeah, right. So it's like, you know, if we acquire some piece of gear that we can't uh, afford to keep around. It's like, well, we'll just put it in the studio and then we can go visit it and say hi. So at least I've got that, even though I don't play guitar in this band, at least I can like look at my gear and be like, yeah, you're doing great kid. Keep it up. Yeah, no, that's really, that's, that's really, really cool. Um, 
this uh this is not hopping this is hopping around not really uh from a you know <laughs> a lineage standpoint of the conversations we've been having so far but um, <laughs> no worries. the you know uh, something i've always admired about uh what you know you and the band have done is uh you know you would play within the quote unquote system and what i mean specifically is like you know you would play riot fest you played warp tour um and many bands that espoused the same sort of, you know, political beliefs, the same sort of, you know, feminist beliefs like that were akin to you philosophically would look at something like that and be like, no goddamn way. Like we would never play that horseshit festival or whatever, you know, um, not not saying that, uh, you know, you would be casting dispersions on these things prior to you trying them out and then being like, oh, retroactively. Yeah, that wasn't a very good move because we didn't like that experience or whatever. But. I just like the fact that you would put yourself in these situations that, you know, other bands wouldn't even entertain the option and therefore wouldn't impact the people that would be present at those events. And I, um, yeah, I mean, I, I guess there's no real question in there, but I'm sure that's a very deliberate, um, thought process that you guys go through when you're choosing to, you know, play these things that are a little, um, you know, left of center from a, you know, <laughs> a, a band of your nature, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. Um, cause it's, cause I, I really admire people. I mean, I admire anyone that makes some sort of, you know, line in the sand for what they're cool with and, and, and how much they will interact with capitalism. Um, because unfortunately we all do to some degree, right? Like just totally. that's where we are. We, we, no one in America can 100% avoid it unless you're literally living by yourself in the woods kind of situation. So uh, you know, where, you know, people that have a, a harder line for where, how much they'll interact with capitalism. Like I, I totally admire it and I, and I am thoughtful of it and I strive for it, but, uh, we could either be a band and this is for us and no judgment for anyone or, or anything like that. Um, we could be a band that plays for, you know, only DIY clubs, for a certain amount of people, um, that might even age out of, <laughs> of being able to go to shows like that, you know, um, or we, and, and maybe even technically make more money per show, honestly, playing shows like that, or we could play these bigger venues and get our message to more people that maybe haven't heard it or heard it said like this before. And like, while yes, you know, you know, Warp Tour and Riot Fest, they're going to give you a certain amount of money, but it really just makes doing that festival feasible. It's not, you know, we're not headlining. We're, <laughs> we're not getting. No, you're not getting $10,000 offers. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like it's really just to like, you know, cover your expenses. Yeah literally cover expenses and make it so you don't go into too much debt by doing it. And sometimes you still go into debt, you know? Um, but it's, 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 a but it's that question of like, are you going to preach to the choir or are you going to convert? And I feel like we can and should absolutely do both. And I think that because we're so privileged, like as individuals, um, four of us are white you know, um, or cisgender. And, and, you know, even though, you know, Sue is pretty butch and, and things come along with that, like we're, we're still very privileged people. So it's like, I, if there's going to be any shit to be taken 
from the audience uh, being in maybe a potentially hostile uh, environment, I'd rather we get it than a band like Gloss or hers that's still around. Um, you know what I mean? Like oh, they don't deserve totally. to have shit yelled at them or, or thrown at them or something. And so if I can push the needle a little bit and make it easier for others, I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it makes total sense. And I, I just always, um, I've just, I, I personally have always identified with bands that, that do that. And, you know, they're a, like you said, you're able to toe a line where it's like, you, you know, you have definitive things that you would not do and you, you would not pursue, but then you would also feel comfortable playing inside of this, you know, sandbox that's much larger than, like you said, just, you know, a DIY basement show, which is like, you know, clearly there's a time and a place for that. And it's incredibly important for that to exist in order to give bands opportunities. But then, if you are afforded the opportunities to actually play in front of people that have, you know, playing in front of a, a 14 year old, you know, girl randomly wandering around warp tour, like that's sick. Like you're, you don't get that opportunity at a DIY, DIY basement yeah. show. Like that's not happening. And that, and that really happened. And because that girl, uh, hypothetical girl, mm-hmm. um, cause, th- cause there aren't any DIY venues in her town. Exactly. You know what I mean? There would be nowhere to play where she could legally get in. Um, and and that was really, you know, mind blowing to hear some of those stories of people. Some sometimes people just came out to see Warp Tour because nothing on nothing else was going on in town. There were no other shows. There was not and not even not that day, like that month. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Totally. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so they didn't even know the band's playing. It was just something to do finally for them. And and so for them to happen to walk by and see us and buy a CD and stuff, like that's that's amazing. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's amazing. Totally. Well, I always, I, 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 for many years, I worked at a record label, uh, that label, metal label, Century Media Records. And it was in the, you know, the mid 2000s when basically Hot Topic was taking over most of the music buying community. And, oh, yeah. And I always had these discussions with bands that, you know, clearly were principled and they were, they were, they were having these, these, you know, ethical quandaries of like, do we sell our CDs inside of a place like Hot Topic? Like, you know, mall culture, you know, bottom of the barrel, like there's no value in music. People are just, you know, going in there to buy, you know, Twilight merch and maybe they'll buy a CD or whatever. But like, uh, you know, my justification and not even justification, but my reasoning for that is like, okay, yes, like, of course, I work at a record label and, you know, we're trying to sell as many records as possible, pushing that aside because that's not where I'm coming from. I don't get paid on the fact that you sell another, you know, 10 records because of this. But, but like you said, that notion of a person having the opportunity to get exposed to independent culture that they wouldn't, you know, in some random town where the mall is the bastion of culture, that's the only place you're going to be getting music. And, you know, like, I mean, granted, yes, that you could argue that there's, you know, the internet and there's many other places, but a lot of times it's like, if you're actually looking to buy a physical copy of something, you know, you're not, you can't borrow your parents' credit card when you're 13. It's like, that's a incredibly important outlet, just like you existing at, you know, at Warp Tour for, yeah. uh, for better or worse. Yeah. It's weird. The landscape has changed, you know, like, mm-hmm. cause you're right. Like sometimes the only place you could buy a CD was at the mall or whatever. Um, I, I was just thinking like while you're talking like how hilarious it would be if Hot Topic was like, oh, can we sell your record in our store? I would just feel like for real. Um, I would love to have that dilemma. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, well, like, I, 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 there there could I mean there uh, yeah I, I think Hot Topic still does have a limited amount of vinyl. Um, obviously they they stock a lot of T-shirts and stuff like that. But uh, but yeah, <laughs> I understand what you're saying. The 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 notion of like you know total first world problem. Like do, do we sell our music in this store? Yeah, I'd, I'd like yeah, to knock I on know. the door. I like the opportunity. Yeah, <laughs> I I love the opportunity to really you know pro and con this one out. Um, <laughs> yeah, totally. But but also a be one I think a side effect of the landscape changing so much and you know a fucking la tigre song being in a commercial uh, a year or two ago like like i don't think that the idea of a sellout is as harsh as it was when i was in high school no like i remember feeling like s- such anger toward any band that i liked getting in a movie or a commercial or, or I don't even know what, what else would have happened at the time, like signing with a major, you know, like I was, I remember being fucking pissed that they would do that. And I'm sure, so part of it is just the landscape is so different. Part of it is just my age and I have rent to pay and I, and gas prices are so high and all I want to do is go play shows and not go into debt Um, I'm not even looking to make a ton of money people. Um, I'm just like, my idea of what a sellout is, is so, so different. Like I do not begrudge anyone for wanting to like pay their bills today. Like, and I feel like you're so lucky if you could do that with music and I can certainly be critical of like shitty songs that are celebrated (laughs) and, and people, you know, give people a million dollars for a shitty ass song in a movie. I I mean, I I think I can complain about that, but, but just the idea of getting paid for music, like, yeah, that sounds sounds nice. Right. Do it. Go ahead. Do it. No no one's judging at this point. And that that's because they realize that there are uh, larger battles to fight that are, you know, and, and scene credibility is really low in the list of things. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. And I think it is different. And I don't know. I don't know what, actual teenagers today think of it but there's i still think that my assumption is that it is different for everyone and that sellout is not as clear cut of an idea as it used to be yeah when i was starting to play in bands well i always i i always reflect on you know the classic movie wayne's world where you know they're going through their um you know when when wayne's world is is you know the show is getting much larger and then you know they do the whole joke of like oh we would never yeah. accept corporate sponsorships and they're holding up pepsi and all those other things and it's like dominoes and stuff. Yeah, yeah exactly like i i really do think that that is like the only way that people would really like deliberately point to something now and be like, Oh dude, like, you know, if someone actually did that as a non ironic joke, that's the only thing that would like yeah, poke right. up and people would be like, ah, I'm not into this. <laughs> <laughs> um, the uh, last two things I want to hit on was um, the, um, in, in the coverage of, you know, your band ever since, you know, once you guys signed to bridge nine and, you know, started to be, you know, really active as far as, you know, touring. I mean, you were touring prior to you signing to bridge nine as well, but, um, I, I was really impressed with the amount of, you know, mainstream press coverage that goes into the band from, you know, Washington post and, you know, clearly, you know, you existing inside the city of Baltimore, um, you know, has a lot to do with the, you know, local and national press coverage as well. Um, just because there's, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, reputable papers and stuff like that. But 
I, I'm sure, do you approach those, you know, when you are getting set up for, you know, an interview with these outlets that are, you know, clearly have no context for punk and hardcore. It's usually just like, Hey, uh, here's a crazy screaming girl that is in a band about, <laughs> you know, like, I'm not saying that's like how, you know, your publicists are setting you up, but it's like, you know, there's that sort of kitschy novelty factor of like, wow, this, this will, you know, we'll get a cool picture and we'll get some people to click on this because it's, you know, crazy girl sings for band and has opinions. Like, you know, do you approach those interviews, uh, I guess, kind of, um, you know, with trepidation or are you excited because it's a large platform or is it basically a mixture of both? Well, I, I think they're not like, whoa, look at this crazy girl that has opinions. I think they're like, whoa, a woman that's angry with opinions. I think that's the novelty for them. Not that I'm in a band playing music, right? That's true. Um, And that I'm being really overt about my intentions. So when I, I, I approach those kinds of interviews and, and experiences, um, again, kind of like I was saying before, like an open book, I'm, I'm fine telling people kind of what's up with me and my life and my thoughts and opinions, if it can be helpful for anyone. Um, but I also want to normalize female anger. I want them to get used to it. I want them to know it exists. And so I am fine with, with you know, if I represent that to them. Um, I want them to be uncomfortable and to think about it and to wonder why I'm so mad, you know? Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. It's the, yeah, you, you you're not only giving voice to, you know, your, your band and doing the whole publicity thing, but you are clearly, you know, giving a voice to why this, you know, why you feel this way and a platform. And that's, you know, that's exciting. Well, I'm glad you think so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, just kidding. I don't give a fuck. Yeah, no way, man. (laughs) Um, something I also find interesting with the way that you, uh, you know, approach the band. I mean, clearly you guys are active and you tour and you, you know, you do many things that, you know, most bands that exist inside, inside the music industry do. Um, but you know, you're not, you know, touring 300 days out of the year and you are not, um, you know, I don't, I don't feel like you're on this sort of, um, you know, treadmill that is the typical sort of record cycle where it's like, all right, every 18 months you got to, you know, release a new record. Otherwise people, you know, you're relevant now and people don't care about you. <laughs> um, I, you know, I presume it's kind of a mixture of, you know, you existing in, you know, your own day-to-day life, you know, running a guitar repair company and then also trying to balance the fact that, you know, you want to get out there, you know, play shows and stuff. Um, is it, is it kind of interesting being in the position that you're in where, you exist in the music industry and you, you know, you, you participated in it, but then at the same time, like there isn't that, I, I guess, overt pressure. It's not like, you know, Chris from bridge nine is calling you up being like, all right, man, we gotta, we gotta ship some more <laughs> units. Like where the hell is this happening? You know? Yeah. We got to move some units. <laughs> right, um, right. I literally remember a record label saying that to me when I was in high school in Nashville because right. it was, a machine back then. But, um, (laughs) so that's a lovely, lovely joke that I like to reference sometimes. (laughs) I gotta move these units. Well, so the, you're, you're, you're totally right. It is an interesting place to be, um, to have one foot firmly planted in the real world and to be struggling and to be on food stamps and to, to want to have your own business and, and do what you, care about, um, in a, in a decent way and 
try to maybe give some other people some money too that are working for you. Right. Um, that is, uh, it's difficult to do that and, and to just tour 24 seven. Now, if we were selling a lot more records and getting, you know, a thousand tour offers and we could pick and choose the situation, we would probably go on tour more. Um, but I think people like the idea of us. I think we just live in a weird time where people are, don't realize how much buying records means to some people, to some bands, you know, like Beyonce doesn't need my money. I, sh- I should still give it to her, you know, sure. um, like, but she doesn't need it. So if I stream some songs sometimes from her, like, it's probably going to be fine. Right. She's going to be okay. Um, but bands like us or downtown boys or hers or, you know, like, like bands that are sort of this, like people kind of know who they are, but they're not like super famous and whatever, like, like we actually literally need your record sales. Like we, we need you to buy records, um, so we can keep doing what we're doing. And that's a really, that's not a fun thing to post on Facebook. You know what I mean? <laughs> well, so, yeah, it's like, if you want us to come to your town, like, you know, it's not easy for us to, you know, plan a 45 day tour when we are getting paid, you know, a negative hundred dollars for each show. Like that's, yeah. that's, that's tough. And, and like, we're not spring chickens, you know, like we're in our thirties and forties. And, and so we are adults, um, with real life expenses and, and, uh, so every now and again, I get a little resentful that like this band didn't happen when I was 20 and I was touring all the time and I didn't, I needed like $200 a month to live, you know, um, that would have been really cool, <laughs> but then I wouldn't have appreciated how all the good stuff that's happened with this band. I just wouldn't, I would, I would have, you don't have I would perspective. Have felt, yeah, yeah. I would not, I would not have had perspective. I would have felt entitled. I would have been really disappointed when the band broke up and I would have lost my identity, you know, stuff like that stuff that kind of sort of did happen after high school. Um, and, and then I, and I think that's why it's so easy to, to be, to be grounded now. And to know, like, I know that War Woman can't last forever. I know that we will not, I don't expect us to sell more records than we have before. I don't expect us to get any bigger than we are now. If it does, cool. If it doesn't, that's fine. I, I still know who I am and I don't need the band to lift my self-esteem up. You know, like, these are like real, like personal struggles that I think people in who perform, they deal with it. You know, it's something they have to deal with. Um, but I, I, I think that all of us would enjoy um, touring more um, if we felt financially secure enough to do it. Yeah. And so, you know, but I'm not going to go out there begging or reeking of desperation because um, no one, no one wants to hear that. So yeah, I, th- I think that's another reason why I'm so willing to to. <laughs> Sorry about it, but I'm willing to do any interview. <laughs> You're not special. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I'm just kidding. No, I, pre- That's terrible. I no, I, pre- I appreciate that. Yeah, you're t- totally. You know, you're you're gonna do an interview on you know Johnny's Tumblr for you know 
for one, one, the audience of one. It's cool. I get it. Yeah, I am. I am though, totally. because I, I want Johnny's Tumblr. I want Johnny to know more about feminism. I want his <laughs> totally. one reader to know more about feminism. Right. I want to sell one more CD, you know, yeah. like I'm willing to do all this stuff to get the message out because I know that, um, that we're not going to, we're not going to sell records. And, and I hope that by being more selective out of necessity, uh, more selective about going on tours and when and how long, um, I'm, I hope that that translates into just more people coming out to those shows so that they are worth it every time. Um, and so that we, so that we can, yeah, keep doing what we're doing. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes sense. The, you know, the, the, the scarcity doctrine from that perspective is, you know, when, when people, uh, take for granted the, you know, seventh time a band has been through their town in two years, like, you know, that, then that just becomes, it's like, you have to be a, you know, very successful mainstream rock band to have that sort of longevity as far as holding people's interest for as long as you have, or you just have this, you know, complete glut of, people who are interested in watching you and yeah, the, you have to kind of, you know, uh, go the route of like, well, you know, whatever the one show we play a year in this particular town, like, Hey, I mean, if there's a hundred people like that's, that's great. As long as there's a hundred people kind of, you know, in perpetuity, so to speak in that particular mm-hmm. town. Yeah. And I say all that knowing, you know, I have my dad's voice in my head right now saying like, well, if it's so hard, don't be in a band, you know, you idiot. And, um, and I I say all that knowing, like, I don't have to be in a band. It's something that I want to do. It's something I'm passionate about. It's, it's my, it's the thing I do that doesn't pay the rent that I feel compelled to do. And so I, I know that I can stop, um, if it gets too hard to pay my bills. Like I know, I know that, but while I still can balance it with real life, concerns and and needs um i still want to and honestly when when and if the band breaks up when let's be honest when the band breaks up and we're not doing this anymore like i'm certain that i will still find an outlet um for something i've gotten really used to you know mm-hmm. i've I, i've been i've been used to having an outlet probably since i was two and dancing in my crib you know so i will find something else even if no one knows about it and we're not being interviewed um, by you. Yeah. Yeah. No, well, you, you, we can just talk like once a month for the next couple of years and just, you know, just constant temperature checks on you. Hey, so help with the, with the withdrawals, you know, (laughs) (laughs) that's perfect. Um, and the last thing I want to head on was the, you know, I, like you mentioned in regards to, you know, your, your guitar repair, um, you repair amps too, right? Yeah, it's amp repair, amp repair. Okay. I don't work on guitars anymore. I could, but like, I just don't bother with it. Yeah, 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 sure. Guitars are horrible, you know? You have to like repair <laughs> necks. You have to re- repair necks and stuff like that. It's awful. Yeah, yeah. We're lucky enough we got a luthier uh, to come work in the same building. And so it was like, oh, okay, I could do it. Or you could have the luthier do it who went to school for this. <laughs> I think you're going to want him to do it. Totally. <laughs> I'll, I'll pass this off to a competent person. I will. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to mess this up. Yeah. Uh, but the, uh, you know, it, it, I really do truly believe in the fact, uh, you know, people that are creating art that are, you know, rooted in, you know, actual real life and work and the sort of, you know, day to day processes that most people, you know, uh, most people complain about. But then, you know, there's also that juxtaposition of, you know, if you were out for, you know, 
nine months out of the year, your only experience for writing, you know, more music would probably be just talking about, you know, like, oh man, tour is so crazy. Like, it's weird that I exist in this touring life. And like, you know, you see that happen. Yeah, that that no one can relate to. Like, the road is fucking hard. Right. I I think of that Tenacious D song all the time. (laughs) Totally. And it's, I mean, every band has that where it's like, I mean, bands that are of a certain level of success always have that. It's like their second or third LP is always about tour and always about being on the road and all these (laughs) weird experiences. Um, but I'm sure that you, you reflect on the fact that you can exist, um, in, you know, the day-to-day life of, of your job and obviously being politically active and being aware. Cause you know, sometimes when you're on tour, it's like, it's tough to keep up on, like, oh, wow, like this, this, this bill got voted on or whatever, you know, um, it's very hard. It's very hard. Yeah. So, like, I mean, I presume that that you enjoy that experience to be able to, uh, I guess, kind of, you know, refuel the creative coffer, so to speak. There was um, after the last record on came out on Bridge Nine, there was like about a year, maybe maybe two where it seemed like every other month we were going out for a few weeks um, and and even then, even that kind of seemed like I had no connection to what was actually happening in Baltimore anymore. And it was really hard to keep up with the news, the, excuse me, the news. And uh, I, I do, I remember coming home and feeling incredibly disconnected. And I didn't have time because of all the touring we were doing. That means when we were home, Brooks and I were at work all the time. So there was no like, no time for activism. You know, like there, there would be a march or a protest or something or there or meetings. And, and I just couldn't, I was drained. I was just working all the time to make up for the time I was gone. So, and I remember feeling like, wow, that like, this is really hard. And this is, this is kind of like the opposite of why I got into this <laughs> and like started doing this band and started the Hollaback chapter in Baltimore. I did, I'm doing all this because I want to feel connected. So Having, you know, we did Warp Tour last year, we, because of radius clauses and things like that and lineup changes, like, it just made sense to, we didn't really play any shows before Warp Tour, and we didn't really play any shows after, like a handful. And we were recording a record, and, you know, so we were recording a record and doing Warp Tour, that's kind of a big year. And all this time of waiting for the record to actually be be done and released, and it it gave us like five months at home almost to, to just be at home. And it's a totally different feeling. And it's, it's been really, it's been, I mean, I feel recharged. I've been at home on the couch a lot, (laughs) but I've been doing more trainings. I've been, I've been hosting more workshops than I, than I got to do for like the last two or three years. And so I feel like I'm actually a part of my community again. And it's interesting. It kind of makes it easier to fight for your community. Like you have to feel connected to it to fight for it. Um, and to be, to remain so passionate about safer spaces, which is the thing that I'm really passionate about. Um, you know, and I actually have, um, recent experiences with making spaces safer and going in and training people. And, and I would, I would probably feel like a total, sham if I if I hadn't trained a place in like two years and was still talking about it like what the hell would I know um so yeah I've it's this is it's been a really nice time to be home and feel recharged and connected and it does 
and it also makes it easier to go out. We're going to go out next month and I'm ready. I'm ready to leave home and tour again because um, I feel grounded and it makes it easier to do. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I, I really like the expression of that sentiment um, uh, just because, yeah, it's like you when I mean, life is about balancing extremes. And, you know, when you do feel like you just get to be a part of this, this one sided machine of, you know, the, the touring life cycle and, you know, being away from home and, you know, the excitement that comes with that is also tempered with the fact that, like you said, you're just, you know, life continues to move on without you. <laughs> and, yeah. then, and then you're just like, all right, I got to inject myself back in here. And then sometimes people are like, Oh yeah, but like we we did this and we changed this, and you're just like, holy shit! I wouldn't have <laughs> like that. I I don't want that to happen, or what? You know, it's like that. Just you know, that's a natural part of of life. And when you're not there, um, it's tough to to you know be plugged into that. So it's cool that you you've experienced that. Yeah, and even you know, like obviously our news cycle is nuts, and our president is nuts, and things happen every day, and it changes every day, and they're distracting us all the time from the big moves they're actually making. And, and so that's another level too, of being able to keep up with that anyway. But there's just something about being in a van where you th- like me, I think I'm going to get so much done when I'm on tour. I'm like, Oh, I'm going to read like four books. I'm going to like <laughs> write an op-ed. I'm going to yeah, like totally. work on the new record. You know, like I think I'm going to do so much and I just don't like, I can't, I'm just in the present watching the road and the trees go by and I, it's like, I can't do anything else. And I don't know why. And I don't know that that's everyone's experience, but that's, that's mine. And so you're, yeah, it's just like, you're just living on another planet while earth keeps rotating. And then you come back and Hey, remember me? And everyone's like, no, no, you know, (laughs) you have to like work at it. Yeah. What what have you done for me recently? (laughs) Yeah. Or they're like, the, the, you know, someone will come to the shop and be like, Oh, Hey, did you just get back from tour? And I'm like, I got back like three months ago. Like I've been here. You could have invited me to your party, asshole. You know, like that when, when people think you're gone, they think you're gone all the time. Um, and so I don't know, time, time is just such an interesting relative thing. It's, uh, so yeah, it's all, uh, I'm excited to go on tour and then I will be excited when touring is over and, that's kind of the way I think people should feel about it. They yeah. should be ready for it to happen when it's going to happen, whatever that thing is. Um, and that's how you know that you've struck a balance mm-hmm. when you're ready to do the next thing. So I'm currently ready to go on tour. Um, so yeah, no, that's, see, that's, see you there. Yeah. See you there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's perfect. Well, I, uh, I loved hanging out with you. Thanks for doing this. This was, uh, this was enjoyable, even though you'd have done it with anybody. And I really appreciate that. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> I, I really would have. Wink, wink. I know. <laughs> but I do appreciate that. Thank you for uh, hanging out. It was, uh, it was enjoyable for me. Thank you, Mr. Harkins. <laughs> Yes, that was awesome, right? Thank you, Shauna. Thank you very much, Stephanie, her publicist, for helping hook this all up. I just uh, I like when people bring me other people to appear on this show. They're like, you will like this. You should do this. And I do it. And it works out according to plan. And uh, next week is a really, really good conversation. I actually had to have this conversation twice. And I am not mad about it. I mean, I'm mad that my microphone cord broke. And it ruined our first conversation because it only picked up her end of things. Oh, technology. 
but is Brianna Hunt from Many Rooms, a really, really incredible debut full length uh, from this uh, singer, songwriter, soul artist, whatever you want to call her. But we had a great discussion on faith and a bunch of other fun stuff. So that is next week. And uh, yeah, please be safe, everybody, right? I think that's what you need to do. So (laughs) I'll talk to you next week. Bye, everybody. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network, jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.